the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back to Hour 3 this Monday, April 26. It is a delight to welcome back to the show the one and only Professor Victor Davis Hansen. He's a uh, senior fellow at the Center for American Greatness and, of course, uh, at the Hoover Institution as well. has a hugely important piece at American uh, Greatness uh, today out just today, entitled The New Anti-Racism is the Old Racism. Professor Hansen, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix, and thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. You betcha, of course. Um, There's a lot in this essay, and it's fabulous, and uh, perhaps historians can redound to it or go back to it years hence in trying to understand the moment we're in. But let's start with where you start. When you write until my audience has been all over this point lately until just a few years ago, racial differences, according to polls, were more or less receding. You write today. Racism is everywhere, or at least racialization and race talk. But you're quite right. My my listeners have been pointing us out. They said these kinds of conversations and this kind of disruption to our to our lives, this kind of this kind of sensitivity, if you will, using all the meanings of it, wasn't around 15 years ago. And you cite some polling, and the polling bears it out. Uh, in 1958, here's an interesting stat for you, Professor. 1958, 40%, 48% of almost 50% of white Americans said if a black person moved next door, they would consider moving. That was 1958, 50%, 50%. Today it's 1%. We can do this with people who say they have black friends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, we were getting all this right, and now everything seems wrong. What happened here? Well, I think the, the key was the Obama administration. And remember that Barack Obama got more white voters in 2008 than did John Kerry. Right. And so we were told that we were going to be a post-racial society, even though there were disturbing things about the references he made to his own grandmother, his associations with John Marshall Davis, uh, take a gun to a knife fight, all that stuff, get in their faces, his earlier racialized career. But what he did over that period, whether it was the Trayvon Martin or the Ferguson, they did something very, I thought, I wrote about at the time, very dangerous. They took the old Jesse Jackson idea of a rainbow coalition that really had gone nowhere, and they redefined it as diversity. And so rather than the old black-white binary that people had been at the center of the civil rights, they said, basically, if you are not white, no matter what your income, no matter what your class, no matter what your history, you have an affinity. If you're a Southeast Asian and you were a a refugee that came here after the Vietnam War, if you're a South American aristocrat, if you're a Basque, all these people had not been eligible strictly for affirmative action, but suddenly they were called the Mm non-white. And we were to think that a fourth-generation Japanese-American surgeon had a lot in common with somebody who just came from Vietnam, or we were told that 
uh, people from Spain, any, and I was, you know, I'm in an academic institution. You could see it, that basically it was based on a racial concept that we are not white and we are now 30% of the population and gaining. And we have a grievance against this culture, the majority white culture, based on what their ancestors did to our ancestors. And they had this idea of disproportionate uh, disparate impact and disproportionality where they said even if there is no uh, racial bias that we can detect uh, there is still going to have to be repertory uh, redress of grievances because the percentages are not there that reflect actual new demographics of course it didn't apply to the post office or professional sports or other things entertainment but that was the, really the beginning of it. And then all of a sudden I noticed that people who had been kind of conservative or had former students, they were Punjabi, they were Brazilian, they were Korean-American. All of a sudden it was like, wow, we're not white now. We're, we're, we're owed something. And it was, a, it was absurd. And then Trump, I think the hatred of Trump, they, they fed that in. And then we kind of had to lock down the pandemic, and that was a laboratory of madness. And here we are. But the central premise that we were going to allow a lot of wealthy people, and a lot of these people are very wealthy, whether Oprah or the Obamas or LeBron or whomever, and then we're not going to have any class considerations. And then we're going to have people from India and people from Europe who have faced no uh, victimization in their lives. And then we're going to allow somebody from Oaxaca to be horribly oppressed in Mexico because of the racism there against indigenous people. But the moment he sets foot into the U.S. across the border, suddenly he has grievances against this very generous host because he's not white. And he had no record of discrimination. And it was absurd, and yet that's where we are. And then everything else is explicable from that, the 1619, to, to feed that lie, we have to have a, the Duke lacrosse. We have to have... Mm -hmm. The Jesse Smollett. We've got to have the Covington kids. We have the 1619. We've have to have the uh, the Trayvon Martin. So all of a sudden, George Zimmerman is not Jorge Mesa, half white Hispanic, as you're called. He's a white Germanic racist. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we are now. That everything fits that narrative. That 30 percent of the country is going to inherit this flawed project, and that and they have all of these affinities which they don't have. Uh, I, I'm speaking to someone who's a 95% Hispanic or Mexican-American or illegal community. I can tell you they're not, they don't have closer affinities with any one of these groups than they do with white people. They either are no more friendly or more less friendly. It's not a, There's no solidarity is what I'm saying, and yet that's what we're told exists, and that's how government policy is made. And the other thing that's very quickly, the other thing that's new is there was never an overt hatred before. But when you see Washington saying that black groups that are giving vaccinations will not vaccinate whites, or the Farm Bill will not give aid to white people, or a George Floyd Monument has special instructions for white people, or you can pick the color of your dorm roommate. This is new. This, this, or you have people like this, uh, Ellie Mazel or all these people saying that they don't want to be around white people. Or Damon, I think his name is Damon Young in the room, yeah. said that white people are responsible mm -hmm. for all these evils. That, that's new. That started during the Obama administration, and especially with Tahitian Coates, when he was idolized for being explicit.
exclusively anti-white. It's not going to end well because there's no society in the world, whether the Balkans or Rwanda or Iraq, that's ever ended well with a tribal mentality like we're developing. We're talking with Professor Victor Davis Hanson, Senior Fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Victor, it seems to me three things have been unlearned by us, uh, society, culture, America. And I'd like to run them through. And I think you cover two out of the three anyway in your piece, maybe all three. But one of the things that seems to me that's been unlearned, um, let's start with the last one, which you just talked about, the issue of integration. Whenever I see a story about blacks only can get vaccinations, whites have to go to a waiting list. I saw a version of this. You probably saw it, too. It was a uh, school district in Washington state last week that had parent teacher conference call lines, one line for white parents, one line for black parents. And it makes me want to say now do water fountains. It makes me want to say that this notion of integration, we have become disintegrated over race when every effort we had, wasn't it, from law and culture and society was that integration from Brown versus Board or Martin Luther King was the way out of this? We're resegregating, aren't we? We are. And I think another thing that people don't talk about is who are the people doing this? Mm-hmm. Who, who are the Nation magazine? Who's NPR? Who is PBF? Who is Stanford University? Who is the Obama coterie? Who are the people that are working for Obama? These are elites whether you define that by income or capital or influence or education or credentials, but they're elites. And one thing about them you notice is all of these African-American vocal spokesmen that write, they, don't, they, they have no contact whatsoever with the white, mm-hmm. lower, and middle classes. They have no mm-hmm. idea that more people in absolute numbers are poor mm-hmm. who are white That's right. than black, That's or right. all minorities put together, in fact. They're the largest poor group. Out here in the Oklahoma diaspora still exists out here in Tulare and Kings County. And so when I grow up, grow up and I see people working, welding, and truck drivers, these are not privileged people because of their color. But we have privileged African-American and other minorities who are damning these people. And by the same token, they hang out with or they associate wealthy, white, privileged of course. elite, of the course. old boy network. Who, of course. You know what? If you're going to be yeah, if Leonard Bernstein's let apartment, in, <laughs> Leonard exactly. Bernstein's and these, apartment, and, right? Yeah. And these people never hang out That's right. with minorities of the lower That's middle right. classes. So if I say to one of my friends at Stanford, I found a dead body in my orchard, or I got confronted by a person who didn't speak English with an AR-15 two weeks ago, that, that's beyond that's beyond their their comprehension. That's right. That's so right. We have the, the the elite blacks who don't know anything about the lower class whites and think they have privilege and get away with this lies. And so basically, it's two elite group of people talking to each other, each in their own way, without any experience of working class America and what privilege is. And then there's sort of a medieval guilt. Wealthy black elites like LeBron, with the security detail and his forty million dollar uh, compound, have to constantly show that they are authentic. They have street cred by this exaggerated racist attack on white people and the police. And by the same token, a Barbara Streisand or any other Brad Pitt or any of these people who have all of this privilege, they fly on jets, they're, they're segregated, they have to, I guess, square their, their guilt in medieval fashion by buying penance. 
And their penance or indulgences that they purchase are being very vocal about how bad white people are. Professor Hansen, white people are, but they're. Yeah, no, I've got to take a quick. Can I keep you for one more segment? Because there's a lot here. If you have a little more time, yeah, I would love to just keep you for one more segment. Yeah, I'll let you go by the button. I have about 10 minutes, but that helps. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. We'll hit a quick commercial break. We'll be okay. right back with more from Victor Davis Hansen um, talking about his important piece, The New Anti-Racism is the Old Racism, which I think historians, if they're honest, will look back someday at this essay and say, ah, this is what happened to America. Victor Davis Hansen explains it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Just have a minute or so left with Professor Victor Davis Hanson. We're delighted to have him. His piece, The New Anti-Racism is the Old Racism. And, Professor, I know you need to go. I'll let you go whenever you need to. But I wanted to throw one more question at you on your piece, if I could. Because it seems to me something else that's been a retread of history here or a backtracking on history here in, uh, in the woke movement and in this, racial, this new racial moment we're in is the left seems to have adopted the lost cause of the Civil War, if you will. That is to say, everything they say about our founding could be found in Confederate speeches, Confederate statements, Roger B. Taney's opinion in Dred Scott, uh, the, the writings of Alexander Stevens. They believed that the founding was meant to perpetuate slavery. There was another side in this country, more people, more states, and it actually won, that said no. It's weird to me that the left wants to re- 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 reignite and reinvigorate Roger Bittani. Do you notice that trend as well? I, I do, and it even has another wrinkle where you, you mentioned Alexander Stevens in that famous letter he wrote at the founding of the Confederacy where he attacked the Constitution and Lincoln. He said, the problem with you, meaning you white people in the North, is that you're following a flawed document, the Constitution. Mm-hmm. The founders had everything right, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing them, but they didn't get put in white supremacy. Right. And so your whole country is based on the idea that people are equal when we in the South know that they're not, and so we're putting people in their rightful slot. But you have confused nature because of this flawed idea that we're all equal. Yeah. And it's, it's prim- prima facie evidence from a racist that he's angry at the United States because it was not founded in racism. Yeah. And yet they, they, but they have a very strange relationship with the South mm-hmm. uh, in the Confederate sense because they do believe in segregation now, mm-hmm. and they'd like to segregate. They don't believe in the open housing law. If you're at Stanford or Claremont, you can pick the race of your roommate in a way that would be abhorrent. Are you kidding me? Anybody in the night? No, no you can say, no idea. I want to be, I am Punjabi, I want a Punjabi. No kidding. Except if you're white. Yeah. You'd be kicked out if you did that if you're white. Claremont is the best example of that, but it's everywhere now. There are theme houses. We just use the word theme for segregated houses. And and so the same idea, we have safe spaces on campuses where you cannot go if you're not a particular race. And then the whole sanctuary city movement is based on the Confederate idea that the federal government does not have any right to tell a state what jurisdiction and what federal laws that it has to comply to. So I'm living in a county where the county says, and the state at large, but the county says, you know what, the federal government's rules on immigration do not apply within Fresno County as they pertain to immigration. So if we pick up an illegal alien, he's got a felony accusation, and when he's released for 
custody or bail. We're not going to allow the federal government to be take him away and deport him. It'd be as if somebody in Utah, and, and this is going to happen, of course, or Virginia said, you know what, the Endangered Species Act or the federal gun law or things about gay marriage or abortion, they don't apply in our county because we trump federal law. So mm-hmm. They're very infatuated. When I was growing up, states' rights was a dirty word. That's and the right. Left said, you know what, George Wallace is a states' writer. He's a disobeying federal law yep. that says he can't do that. He yep. has to integrate the University of Alabama. Yep. Now they're on the side of George you Wallace bet. ideologically. You bet. As an undergrad at Claremont, I had two roommates. One was black and one was Asian. I bet I couldn't have them now. I bet I couldn't. No, I don't think so. At least if they didn't want it. Yeah. And they could say they didn't uh, want They didn't want uh, Victor Davis Hanson, I know you have okay. to run. You've been more than generous. God bless you, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir, Bye. for everything. Uh, this this piece is so important. Uh, I really do believe it. Because uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about, you know, if we're around... 20 years hence, God please, or 50 years hence. Um, And if the left, if the woke wins this moment on cultural issues having to do with race, which ends up having to be political issues and educational issues and really everything, what will historians look back at and say was the cause of this, the start of this? And will they be honest? Will they be honest in the sense of America getting it right? Again, in 1958, 50% of white Americans told Gallup if a black person moved next door, they'd move. Okay? That's 1% today. In 1964, less than 20% of white Americans claimed to have a friend who was black. According to Gallup, that number is now 82% of whites say they had a close non-white friend, and 88% of blacks reporting having close friends who were white. We were getting this good. We were getting this right. We were doing it well. And so when they come and look back, when the historians look back, what will they point to and say started this reversal, started race consciousness all over again, started resurrecting tired notions, that were lost, we thought, in 1865 and buried in 1964, resurrecting those ghouls, those chimeras that the founding was, was, was born of, of, of racist intent to perpetuate slavery, a view held only by the Confederacy, again, a smaller part of America than the side that won. Fewer states, fewer people held that view. But the Democrats would have you believe that view prevailed. Where did it start? Was it the killing? Was it the killing of um, of George Floyd? I think it was probably really Ferguson, Missouri, and Michael Brown, around which the BLM movement began really gaining steam. And what will they look back and say about it? Hands up, don't shoot. Was true? Was the narrative? The police shot an innocent man who had his hands raised in surrender? Will they say that? If they do, they'll be lying. That will be a lie of history. Of course, anything will do in a state of perpetual revolution where the task is not to understand history, but to rewrite it, as Marx said. We'll be right back.
where we used to teach that race didn't matter. Here's a racial literacy curriculum that was just sent to me. It begins in kindergarten with five- and six-year-olds using Pantone color charts to match their skin tone so that they might start to see themselves and one another by the most accurate depiction of skin color possible. Quote, recognizing and categorizing color is a foundational skill for early grades and will be used as a platform for upcoming lessons that discuss skin color. I could see that in the Third Reich. I could see that in the Third Reich. I don't know how many of you have seen documentary. It's fairly famous or was. took place in Iowa, school in Iowa. It's called Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes. And uh, you can get it on YouTube. It's one of the most emotionally wrenching things I've ever seen. It took place in Iowa, I want to say, in the 60s. And it was a teacher, Jane Elliott, whose politics aren't mine, but she did something interesting then. And she had these young kids to teach them to understand racism. She had uh, the, ki- the class segregated by eye color. Everyone who had blue eyes was a king for a day, basically. And they got to make fun of people with brown eyes. And then guess what she did the next day? She reversed it. Have you seen this, Bill? Please watch it. You've seen it. Please watch it. Watch this. It's one of the most moving things in the world. And it was meant to show how ridiculous it is to judge someone by something like eye color, which is the closest thing you can get to irrelevancy to skin color. And I don't know if she could do that class today. I think she's still alive, but I don't think she could do that experiment today. First of all, you can't have children crying. The kids were crying. They were upset. All of a sudden, they were being judged negatively because of something they didn't see coming, the color of their eyes. No different from the color of their skin. I don't know. And a lot of kids were upset, crying I don't know that you can do that because the kids' feelings are so much more important now than facts or truth or anti-racism as we're obviously now teaching racism, teaching it, where it doesn't exist. You're telling me a five-year-old and a six-year-old gives a damn about color? Well, they do now. With this curriculum, they will now. The racial literacy curriculum. The other problem with the Jane Elliott brown eye, blue eye experiment is that its conclusions were all wrong, according to today's ethos. Its conclusions were all wrong. The color does matter. And we should treat people differently based on their skin color. And we should have different lines for vaccinations and waiting lists if you're of the wrong skin color. And we should have different Zoom numbers for white parents and black parents and student, excuse me, and teacher parent meetings, parent-teacher meetings. I'll read this again. You could have read this in 1943 Germany. Begins in kindergarten, a German word, with five- and six-year-olds using Pantone color charts to match their skin tone so that they might start to see themselves and one another by skin color. So that they might start to. We're admitting they don't. 
We're admitting this nonsense of a baby is born at three months old able to distinguish good and bad race. Nonsense. We're, 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 we're. To be a leftist doesn't mean you have to be consistent. So they're now telling us that three months a child is aware of race, which is – if I could use a stronger word than baloney, I would because I feel that strongly about it. But here we're told that at five and six they have to be taught skin tone so that they can start to see themselves and one another by skin color. Consistency doesn't matter. And then, quote, recognizing and categorizing color is a foundational skill for early grades and will be used as a platform for upcoming lessons that discuss skin color. 1943 Berlin, it could have been. It's 2021 American kindergarten. It makes me want to wretch. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy, who is sponsoring portions of this show. Power rate increases are coming. She wants you to stop giving your money away to the power companies, save it, and in many cases, after going solar, have them send a check to you. Don't suffer through another summer of astronomical power bills or having to keep your house warm because you're afraid of power bills being so high. Check out Solar Sandy and what she can do for you. If you sign up now, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right, a $1,000 signing bonus. No power bills for a year, and one year of free solar panel payments. This is all the work of Solar Sandy, who has an extremely good reputation for her integrity and honesty and known by me and her customers as being more than trustworthy. Just read the customer comments on her website. They're amazing. And she can do appointments in person or by Zoom. To get started with Solar Sandy, go to AskSolarSandy.com and let Sandy do all the work. That's AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at 623-850-8229. Tremendously hardworking woman who I admire equally tremendously. I don't know if the John Kerry story is going to go away or not. It shouldn't. I want every Republican senator to put a statement out. Senator Rick Scott of Florida you may have different views of him. He got this one right. He put out the following statement. He wrote the template. Every Republican congressman and senator should do something similar. Quote, I have been clear that Iran cannot be trusted. We cannot forget that Iran is the world's leading state sponsor of terror. However, the allegations involving John Kerry are deeply disturbing and must be explained immediately. Until we have clarity and know the truth, President Biden must remove John Kerry from all access to and briefings on national security intelligence. If these allegations are true, what are the allegations? The allegations printed in the New York Times are that he was telling the foreign minister of Iran about classified Israeli military counterterrorism actions against Iran and Syria. If these allegations are true, he must resign. Above all, 
This clearly shows why the United States cannot for a second entertain reentering the failed Iran nuclear deal. We must stand by our great ally and maintain harsh sanctions against the Iranian government. Have your views. Have your views about the Iran nuclear deal or not. But turning over classified military military intelligence, counterterrorism intelligence to Iran about your closest or closest ally is criminal. It's criminal. And John Kerry has been a mess on this for years. You get it, don't you? I mean, you see what he thinks is important, don't you? It's not facts. It's his ability to be in control of things. Hence, he can go on record and say, I need to use private planes so I can cobble together all the work that I do. To do the kind of work that I do, I need private planes. What about other people? And do you think that work can't be done without John Kerry? He thinks he's the master. So he needed a nuclear deal with Iran, thus selling Israel out by disclosing its military operations to Iran. It's anti-Iran military operations, all in the name of the deal, all in the name of success, all in the name of John Kerry trying to get what Barack Obama got, that he always thought he deserved, a Nobel Peace Prize, a Nobel Peace Prize. I asked the questions, the question, when did the re-racialization of society begin? And I thought maybe Ferguson and BLM. I've said this before, and listener Solomon has this right, I believe. The racial strife we're being overtaken by started a few years before Ferguson and the hands up, don't shoot meme. But it was still during Obama's term in office. Remember the beer summit came about? Because Obama's friend Skip Gates got arrested and Barack Obama held a press conference where he said, we don't have all the facts yet, but what we do know is that the Cambridge police acted stupidly. That's where I believe it all began to spiral. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, The Skip Gates thing was an odd situation where you had a black man in Cambridge breaking into his own house because he locked himself out, didn't have his keys, and he was arrested. Was it a question of race? We don't think so. We'll never know. The policeman who arrested him had a good record on those things, including the volunteering of his time. But he was painted as a racist. I don't know, Bill. If you were caught breaking into your house because you lost your keys, Bill, would you be happy or angry if a policeman rolling by stopped you? about happy yeah. thanks for protecting my house I, I would what too. if it wasn't me I, I would too i would too i would not there. want let me put it this way i would not want to be jimming open a window in my house and see a police car just blithely roll by which by the way one could s- one could equally say would be a racist act if you know that the home is owned by a a black person. I worry about this with regard to policing. They cannot win. They cannot win if they save a black girl's life by shooting someone who's about to stab her to death. You cannot win. You cannot win if you retreat a little bit more in what is known as the Ferguson effect, which we all wish did not exist. And you cannot win if you are Aggressive, obviously, in your policing. There is no win here. If you recede or if you 
aggress. If you ingress or regress as a policeman in any community, you cannot when you will be criticized for either or both actions. They have been put between a Scylla and Charybdis. Do you know that phrase? Scylla and Charybdis. Your homework assignment is to look it up over the break. You'll like it, and it's amazing. We've done 10 years of this show without that phrase ever being used. Scylla and Charybdis. S-C-Y-L-L-A and Charybdis. C-H-A-R-I-B, Charybdis. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Thanks for starting your week with us and spending some of your day with us. Can I give a homework assignment? I'm going to give it to Bill and his wife, if he has one, as much as to all of you in the audience. But watch Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes tonight. You can get it on YouTube or PBS or something. Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes. I'd like to discuss it tomorrow. Skill on Charybdis. Was I right, Bill? Did I use it right? It's from the Odyssey, right? Scylla was a monster. And Charybdis was like a, a, a sinkhole, a whirlpool, something like that. A survey released last month found that 48% of adults who have been vaccinated said they felt uneasy about returning to in-person interactions. 48%. What's the point of a vaccine? I'll tell you. Vaccine hesitancy was created by this administration and by Anthony Fauci. If you think the vaccine works, then take off your damn mask when you're the only one of 40 world leaders in a room all by yourself. They don't think you need it. Why do you need it? Anthony Fauci said it is minuscule. The chances of getting COVID outside are minuscule. Thus, the CDC will be revising its guidance on wearing a mask. We knew this 10 months ago. We knew it in February a year ago when Anthony Fauci was telling us the truth about masks and all the literature on masks until then. I really want that essay. Dr. Fauci, lying now or lying then? He knew all this. He's taken us from no masks to mask to two masks to mask outside to no mask outside. Pre and post, all pre and post vaccination. You want to dissuade people from getting vaccinated? Keep pushing hysteria and contradicting yourself. As we follow you wherever you take us, because you are the scientist. Hogwash. Until tomorrow, folks, God bless you. I'm Seth Liebson, class dismissed.